0: It's
1: our this, all your promises.
2: Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Thanks for joining us here this morning at Trinity. Um, Thank you for choosing to be with us this morning and to worship God together. Um, You know, it's wonderful to see so many people having a great time of fellowship, getting caught up, maybe meeting some new people, talking about the kind of week that you had, and hopefully just being excited about uh, being able to be together today. Uh, We bring our worship God in many ways. Today we'll do that through music, through song. In just a minute we'll stand and sing some songs of praise and worship to our God. And they, those songs help us re- remember who God is and also who we are in him, our relationship to God and how truly blessed we are through his son Jesus Christ. And so we also worship God through his word and I'll, actually, that's how I'll start us off this morning, in our call to worship, by reading from his word. Uh, and uh, then, of course, as we uh, we have our message later, that's a way to worship God, because we bring our focus and attention on him, and we simply say, thank you. Church, we have been created to worship God, and our lives in Christ are meant to be one of thankfulness. The Apostle Paul says in Colossians, he says that... Um, he is a, a new creation in Christ, and he says that he has been crucified with Christ and that he no longer lives, but Christ lives in him. He goes on to say, he says, the life that I now lead in the flesh, I live in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who gave himself up for him and loves him. And so that's the Savior that we worship and that we honor today, because we are his And so for that, we can say amen and be thankful, right? So no matter what kind of week that you've had and how God has led you through his spirit, he has led you to be here today. And so we are thankful for that. We, of course, will conclude our worship service through uh, communion that is gathering around the Lord's table, and then after that, um, hopefully you can all stay and we will have our Fellowship lunch, our barbecue today, and so, of course, all are welcome <clears throat> Excuse me to stay for that. So let me begin by reading from the Word of the Lord, a reading from the Old Testament and one from the New. This is the beginning of Psalm 138. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord. For they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord. For great is the glory of the Lord. And a reading from the New Testament, from Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So why don't we stand and pray, and then together we will praise and proclaim the goodness of our Savior, who has come to set the captives free, to bring sight to the blind, and to proclaim the good news to the poor. Father God, we thank you for the blessing of being here together today. And God, even though we have come to give, we know that still you want to give to us. So we will be blessed as we have gathered to bless you. But Lord, now this time of worship through song is directed towards you. Father, we realize that we are now before your throne, your throne of grace. And we can come with all confidence in believers in the Lord Jesus Christ that we now honor a God who loves us so much that he would give us his son. So, Father, this time now as we raise holy hands, as we join our hearts and our voices together, this is for you, and we do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship him together.
3: he who was before there was life walked across the pages of time he who made every living thing behold him he who heard humanity's cry left his throne to wake as a child he became like the least of us behold him jesus son of god messiah
4: Trenched in tears, they laid him down in Joseph's tomb, the ancient sea by heavy stone, Messiah still. And all
2: he is worthy, right? He is worthy to be praised. Amen. It's good to sing in this place together. Say good morning to somebody next to you. In the name of the Lord, Jesus.
1: My hope is in you only,
3: and my heart you hold. Because you made this sinner holy and holy. holy.
2: Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for good worship and good fellowship. Again, thank you for choosing to be with us this morning and to worship God in this place together. Uh, we'll have continued time of fellowship after, um, after service. Please remember to stay. Uh, everybody is welcome for our fellowship lunch, our barbecue, just a, a few items of what we call church life to get caught up on where we are, and so we are here at Trinity Bible Church, and we have three words that help to define uh, and describe our core values, learn, grow, and serve. That is how we pursue discipleship. Being a follower of Jesus, that's what a disciple is. And so we do that by learning the truth. Uh, We open God's word, we learn the truth about who he is and who we are, and we grow then in our faith and our trust of him. And then, of course, we serve, and we serve others. We serve others here in our church community and in our communities around us and around the world. So we learn, we grow, and we serve together. That is how we pursue being disciples. So today, as we do the first Sunday of every month, we will end our worship service to communion. And this is something that the family of believers does. It is a command of the Lord Jesus, to do this as often as we gather together to remember his sacrifice. So we will do that at the end of our worship gathering. And then we will move right into our fellowship lunch, again, the first of every month. And so please, everybody stay, whether you brought fruit or not, it's okay. Uh, All are welcome. And uh, just ask that after the conclusion of our uh, worship and our communion time, just give the, um, the team a few minutes to get set up. But Please stay and enjoy it, and we have uh, picnic tables outside as well and enjoy the, the beautiful weather, so we praise God for that. It was nice to wake up, be a little cool this morning, Kind of felt good, right? So praise the Lord for that. Uh, please remember, our missions team has put together blessing bags. We've been doing this for a long time. We actually have then uh, spread this out to a couple of other churches, the churches that we do our Wednesday night service with, the Allenwood Church and Shiloh Baptist Church in Manasquan They also have blessing bags and are giving them out to those people, so remember to take one or two on your way out, keep it in your car, and if you're uh, traveling to work or to the store or to school and uh, you see someone or come across somebody that is uh, in need, then you can use that not only as um, a way to provide a practical need, but to start a conversation about yourself and, of course, about the Lord Jesus Christ, Right? should he open that door, and so. A great opportunity to bless somebody and to start a conversation. So please take a blessing bag or two. Next Sunday, from 2 to 5, right here at Trinity, we'll be hosting a seminar called Understanding the Orthodox Jewish Community. We'll have an expert in that community come and teach us and lead us. There'll be two sessions in that, that short three-hour seminar. The first session will be a background and sort of uh, some history and uh, about traditions and beliefs and customs of our friends in Lakewood and beyond. Um, there are many actual communities within the Orthodox Jewish community, uh, especially here in Lakewood, and so we want to learn all about them as our neighbors and as we interact with them. But then the second part of the seminar next Sunday will be offering some very practical tools and ways for us to, um, to navigate that community and to interact with uh, our friends and neighbors there, and how to strike up a conversation, things maybe to avoid saying, and things that would be helpful to say, and how you can introduce the topic of your faith and of course, the person of Jesus into that conversation. So it'd be really helpful, especially for a church like ours, and we've invited many other churches in the area because we are so close to that community that it would be um really it's really beneficial for us as believers in the Lord Jesus to understand. Um, more about the people in that community and what they believe and why they do certain things that they do. And more importantly, how it is that we can love them and bring them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. So that'll be a a great opportunity. Of course, it's free, but we just ask that you would register for that. Just go to our website, journeyallenwood.com. You can go to our events and you can just register for that. And we just ask that uh, if, um, even if you can't, Just let other believers know this is a seminar for believers in the Lord Jesus to learn more about that. So, spread the word to all of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, And then today, we begin our new sermon series in the Gospel of Matthew, and it's called King and Kingdom. And that is what we will be studying today and then going forward as we journey through the uh, first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. And today, uh, we will uh, begin with introductions and an overview of uh, this uh, incredible book of the Bible and this uh, amazing gospel, the Lord Jesus. Um, and so this morning, what I wanted to do is just kind of give us some background and some words of introduction and an overview, and then we will end our message today with a scripture from Matthew, to sort of our, our jumping off point. And then next week, we will begin by looking at chapter 1, which, as many of you are aware, opens with a very unique genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that will begin our actual verse-by-verse um, uh, verse and, and passage uh, through the Gospel of Matthew. And so this morning, again, just wanted to give us some, some things to consider before we embark on this journey together. Because whenever you're going to study any book of the Bible, um, especially uh, one of the Gospels, you want to understand some of the background, the context, who's the author, why was it written, who is the audience, meaning like who is the original writer writing this letter or this book to, what are the main themes, and what was the purpose, what was the reason for it being written. And then, of course, there's always the application part. So, what does it mean? for us today, through these words that were written over uh, 2,000 years ago. And so, uh, start by saying this, you know, um, uh, there was a big event in uh, the history of the world, and maybe it's an event that some of us kind of bypass and don't give a lot of attention to, but just recently, a few weeks ago, there was the coronation of King Charles of the UK. And um, if you were like, Uh, some of the the 10 million um, U.S. citizens that watched it, um, you're pretty amazed. 10 million people from this country watched the coronation of a king across the pond, as they say, in the U.K. there was over 20 million of U.K. citizens that watched it. But worldwide, because you know the uh, United Kingdom has many other territories and has been around for such a long time, that there was uh, an estimated 350 million people that tuned in to watch the recent coronation of King Charles, an event that he had been waiting a long time for. But you know, it's interesting, even more people watched the funeral and memorial services of Queen Elizabeth. But it gets a lot of attention. And just think about this as sort of our, our, our background and a reference point as we begin our overview of this book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, this idea of having a king. Now, we are unique in our country's history because we, in many ways, rebelled from that, didn't we? And that we fought a war uh, to um, maintain our independence from that system of leadership and authority. But yet we know, in addition to the UK, there are many, many countries and nations around the world that still practice and hold that type of leadership and hierarchical structure where there is a king and maybe a queen. But there's something about a king and his kingdom that intrigues all of us. Think about maybe some of the great epic novels you've read or movies that you've watched that have to do with kings and their kingdoms. There's been many, especially recently. But even that coronation of King Charles, the pageantry, the tradition, the honoring to even the veneration of a king. But think about the King Arthur legends from medieval Europe. We might all be familiar with that and all of the movies and stories that go along with it. Camelot, Lancelot, the Knights of the Round Table, things that seem truly romantic to us in many ways. Well, what is it about there being a king and the king having a kingdom that really, really intrigues us? Even in our society, we, we, we put a label on people who are great and leaders in their particular field as king, like the great Elvis Presley. What was he known as? King of what? King of rock and roll, right? Right. We put that label on somebody because he's the king, the preeminent one, the one who sets the standard, right? The one who all others look up to and try to emulate. There's this epic idea, even a hero status placed on someone who is king. A king is, in our minds, supposed to be benevolent, who is overseeing the citizens of his realm, his kingdom. Leading them in battle, protecting them, and providing for them. And that's one of the reasons I think the King Arthur legend is so popular. A loving and benevolent king. Well, maybe you can guess where I'm going with this, but the Bible speaks of a king, doesn't it? In fact, the Bible talks about a lot of kings. The people of Israel had kings. There's a whole story there about should they have had a king and who did God want their king to be, which was him himself, right? But they had earthly human kings, men who led that nation. The other nations around Israel throughout history had kings, again, even to this day. There are many nations that have a king. But we know, of course, the one true king that the Bible speaks about from beginning to end, and that is Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, the one true king, the king of God's own choosing. In fact, as you read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, from beginning to end, you will see develop and sort of come to light the overarching theme of king and kingdom. And that really is the overarching theme of the gospel of Matthew. The king has arrived and he has come to inaugurate his kingdom. But we see it throughout scripture. But why is that? Because As the Bible story begins, the narrative, they call it the meta-narrative, the bigger narrative of Scripture, we see God creating heavens and earth, and he creates Adam and Eve, humanity, male and female, he creates them, they're in the Garden of Eden, God has set up a kingdom for them. And God has given them all that they need, and everything is good. In fact, God, on the seventh day when he rested, he looked back and said, it was very good, wasn't it? All that he had created, the pinnacle of which being humankind. So there is this kingdom, in a sense, that God has given Adam and Eve to have dominion over, to have rule and authority over as God's representatives but because of sin and pride and selfishness and the desire to have nobody in authority over them, Adam and Eve disobeyed their God. And they relinquished, they abdicated that authority that God had given them to God's mortal enemy, and that is the one we call Satan. And so now, from that point on, Satan, the enemy, has dominion over this World. Of course, God is always universally sovereign, so it's only as God allows. But he in this earthly kingdom, as we say, that Satan then has this power and authority. It is by sort of his rule that things happen apart from what God initially designed. When people ask you, church, why would God allow all this? One of the things you can say is this was not God's plan. I'll go all the way back to the Garden of Eden see that was God's plan. So then as the Bible story continues and that narrative continues on as you make your way from Genesis to Revelation, we read about this kingdom that God set up, how it was lost to the enemy who usurped that authority from Adam and Eve, but that how God promised he would one day send a redeemer to win back that kingdom the redeemer that the people of Israel had long awaited, the one that God, through his covenants with Abraham and with Moses, the covenants that God set up to make promises, church, to make promises to his people and through his people, the world, that God would one day make it all right again. And that he would restore that kingdom that was lost by bringing the king of his own choosing. and Then enter Jesus. As we see in the Gospel of Matthew, the beginning of the New Testament, Jesus enters the scene, and what does he do? He comes to offer this kingdom to God's chosen people, the people of Israel, the one he had promised the kingdom to. And Jesus comes and says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand we read that over and over again in the gospel of Matthew. So Jesus offers this lost kingdom to the people of Israel and says, "I have come as the redeemer. He is that promised Messiah that God promised way back in Genesis 3:15 and he offers the kingdom." But then we see in the gospel of Matthew that the people of Israel at that time reject that offer. And in doing so, reject the king and the kingdom. So then the question is, now what? And so Matthew deals with that. What does it look like now that the kingdom has temporarily been postponed as rejected by the people of Israel? And what happens when the king is no longer here on earth? What's up with the kingdom? But at the end of Matthew, we also see that amazing story. As Matthew recounts that one day, the king will return. Amen. He will return to set up that kingdom when all Israel believes and accepts their king. So that is not only the bigger narrative of scripture, but also of the gospel of Matthew. And so kind of setting the stage for that bigger picture, I'd like to give you some background facts and some figures and some things that I think you should find interesting that will help us as we kind of set the foundation for the rest of our journey through Gospels, uh, through the Gospel of Matthew. So, of course, we call it the Gospel of Matthew. It's the first book of the New Testament. We say it's the Gospel of Matthew. Why? Because Matthew wrote the Gospel. He's the one, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, who penned the words. The name Matthew means gift of God. But that was really his apostolic name. Jesus probably gave him that name. You know that God often changed people's names, and like Jesus gave um, Simon his new name, Peter, meaning rock. So he probably, we don't have a, a direct indication of it, but probably Jesus gave him this name, the gift of God, Matthew, as an apostle, one of the first 12 disciples. But we see from the Gospel of Mark that his real name, or his surname, as we would call it, is Levi. So his name was Levi he was also called the son of Alpheus, so we know his dad's name was Alpheus. We also know that Matthew was the tax collector from Capernaum. Now, many of you, i sure, are thinking back to now, the Chosen series, aren't you? Oh, yeah, yeah, you can picture what Matthew looked like, right? I get it. It's It's a reference point. So we know from the scriptures, of course, that he was a tax collector and he lived in Capernaum. Now, Those two things are important because back in that day, the tax collectors were hated. They were part of that sinful group that the religious leaders said, look at Jesus hanging out with the prostitutes, the sinners, the tax collectors. He was hated. Tax collectors were considered traitors because they were Jewish, but they were collecting taxes for Rome on behalf of the Jewish people. So, they were also considered thieves, because many of them would also steal and make a handsome living for themselves. So Matthew is probably wealthy, or at very least well-to-do. He had some big feasts at his home. But Capernaum is also important. It was the area there by the Sea of, of Galilee that Jesus chose for the base of his ministry, after he was kind of run out of Nazareth, his hometown. He chose Capernaum for its location, and many of his miracles were performed there. It's also where he called Peter and Andrew, a couple of his first disciples, and where he met Matthew, where he was from. And again, Matthew was one of the 12 disciples. So, I had a little bit about the book, though. So we know a little bit about the author. But how about this amazing gospel? First of all, we believe that it's the first gospel written. Therefore, that's why tradition in church history places it first among the books of the New Testament and of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament. It was probably written around 45 to 50 AD, so only 10 to 15 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, not too long. It is the longest of the four Gospels, and it is one of what's called the Synoptic Gospels, and that's a a whole nother sermon series, but the Synoptic Gospels are the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, because if you read those first three, you'll see a lot of similarities, right? A lot of similar stories and parables and discourses of Jesus, and yet the Gospel of John, the fourth Gospel, is quite unique and stands alone in many ways, doesn't record a lot of the same, and there's many reasons for that. So the first three are called the Synoptic Gospels, and there's all debates about how they got their material. It was oral tradition. Was there some other document or source they got it from? But regardless, for our study through Matthew, we realize it is the first of the New Testament, the first of the Gospels, and one of the Synoptic Gospels, which means many of the stories, the discourses, the teachings of Jesus we will see in the Gospels of Mark and Luke. But here's another thing, church, I want to make sure we walk away from today understanding this. This is very important for our understanding of the Gospel of Matthew and how we're going to to see his theme kind of develop. It is very Jewish in nature and character, unlike Mark, Luke, and John. There are very typical Hebrew idioms and phrases and words that are used. The subjects of law, Jerusalem, the temple, King David, and Messiah and kingdom are very prevalent in Matthew's gospel, much more than the other three. The theme of king and kingdom is also a very Jewish thing. The Gentiles did not really think among those terms because you remember the people of Israel had been awaiting their king who would bring the kingdom, the one where they would rule and reign, the one that generation after generation of Hebrews would pass down, right, and talk about. It was long awaited. So Matthew talks a lot about this promised kingdom and the covenants of Abraham. There are over 150 Old Testament references alone in Matthew, and about 60 of them are prophetic about the Messiah. Even the genealogy of chapter 1, which will be our topic for next Sunday, shows it is a very Jewish book. Why? Because what's unique about the genealogy that Matthew records in the very opening chapter of Matthew as he traces the lineage of Jesus? Well, Matthew chooses, again, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he chooses to trace Jesus' ancestry, his, his um, genealogy, all the way back through King David to Abraham, the father of the Hebrews. Why? Because Matthew was writing to a Jewish believing audience. We get to that in a minute. So Luke, the Gospel of Luke, has a genealogy. But see, Luke goes all the way back to Adam trace the genealogy of Jesus. Very useful, of course, as well. But see, Luke's gospel was more focused on showing Jesus as the redeemer of all mankind, of all of humanity, when Matthew was really focused on the Jewishness, let's say, of Jesus being the coming king. And so he traces his genealogy through David, which is highlighted, back to Abraham who, of course, a Jewish audience would understand and revere. Matthew also emphasizes the other apostle, Peter, much more than Paul, because Peter was the apostle to the Jews, and Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. So he gives him more emphasis. And then finally, there are many Jewish customs and traditions that Matthew uses and references that he never explains. And the other gospel writers do that. But Matthew doesn't have to if he's writing to a predominantly Jewish believing audience. They would have understood the meaning uh, of those customs and would need no explanation. So, because of its Jewish character and nature, we also believe that um, uh, Matthew is writing this to Jewish people who had believed in Jesus. Now, they believed in him for salvation but didn't quite, of course, understand all there was about him, so Matthew is writing for a couple of specific reasons. Why? There's two main purposes that he wrote this book. And this is why I'm going over this. It's so important, because as we journey through Matthew together every Sunday, we want to remember and see, like, wait, what is the overarching theme here, and who is he writing to? Because that's going to help us to bring out the flavor of what's going on and why Matthew focused on certain things that Mark and Luke and John did not. Because in order to understand what a writer of any kind of letter is getting to and why he's using certain uh, phrases and words and talking about certain customs and including certain teachings of Jesus and not others, we have to understand what the background is and the bigger theme. So any gospel uh, writer, any of the four We're writing to make an argument. They didn't just write to tell the story of Jesus. They had a specific purpose in mind. And see, that's important. We don't always consider that, but the gospel writers had a plan and a purpose. They had an agenda. There was an argument uh, and a point that they were trying to make. So each of them chose selective material from the life of Christ. Just step back for a minute and think of this. All of the um, stories that we have about the life of Jesus, everything that he taught, We realize, right, that wasn't every single thing Jesus ever said and did, right? It wasn't a count of every breath that he took and every step that he took. Each writer was selective in what he was sharing because there was a particular purpose for writing that letter, right? That's why the Gospels have a different emphasis than the others and why many have similar stories but also choose Different ones. The gospel writers told a story, the narrative of Jesus' life, but to prove a point, not just to tell a story. Therefore, in order to understand the story and the doctrines, the theology that comes out of it, we have to understand Matthew's theme and purpose. So the question is, what was his purpose and point of writing? Two main points. One, to prove to these Jewish believers that Jesus is the king, and two, to explain God's plan for the kingdom. Does that make sense? King and kingdom. So the main two purposes that Matthew wrote this letter, because he wrote it to Jewish believers, if you remember, all of the first Christians were Hebrews. Right? Jesus was a Jew, and he came to the Jew first, and then to the Gentiles. And so all of the very first believers were Jewish. They had all the customs, they knew the law, and the prophets. And so Matthew is writing to this group who have put their faith in Jesus as the Messiah. But in order to confirm what they believed and to help encourage them in their newfound faith, he writes to prove to them once and for all that Jesus is the King, but then also talks a lot about the kingdom that the King would bring. And then, of course, since. As he wrote this, Jesus had already died and rose again to explain to these young Hebrew believers in Jesus, well, what now is happening to the kingdom, right? Because that would be an important question. So a couple of quick items about those things. One, to prove Jesus is the king. So Jesus is the Messiah, the promised king, right? The word Messiah, the word Christ are similar Messiah is the Jewish word for, uh, for that, and Christ is the Greek, the Greek and Hebrew equivalents, Messiah and Christ. They mean anointed one. Jesus is the anointed one, but here's why that's important. So it's so cool to check this out. So what happens is, back then, anointing someone was a very common way, like an official way of introducing either a prophet, a priest, Or a king. See that? So, they would be anointed, right? There's been a lot of talk about King Charles. He was anointed with a special kind of oil. Again, a topic for another day. But again, it was a customary tradition that anointing was set aside for prophets. We see it in the Old Testament for priests in the Old Testament and kings three offices that one man held, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came as a prophet. He currently presides over the church as priest, and he is coming back as king. Amen? But Matthew's emphasis is on the kingship, not so much as Jesus being a prophet or now as a priest, but as his kingship, his Royalty is what Matthew focuses on. He uses phrases a lot like son of David to prove his lineage, to show his, his royalty as king. That phrase, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is at hand and even at the end of his book, which we'll look at in a minute, he says in the Great Commission, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. See, as the king, he is the one with the authority. Now, not only does Matthew write this letter to prove that Jesus is king, but to present God's plan and program for the kingdom, right? See, any Jewish person, and this is so key as we study this, any Jewish person would have asked a very simple question. Well, if Jesus is the promised king, then where's the kingdom? Because that's what the Jewish people are waiting for. Where is this kingdom that was promised where we will overthrow Rome and all of our oppressors that they've had throughout their history, that they waited for the king and the kingdom. And finally, they're saying, well, if Jesus is that promised king, where's the kingdom? How come we're not in charge? Right? And we know the disciples even argued about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom and who's going to get to sit next to Jesus, who's going to rule and reign with him, right? So they would have asked that question. So Matthew, writing to this particular audience, is addressing that question. He knows what they'd be asking. So Matthew spends a lot of time talking about kingdom. Okay, yes, Jesus was the king and he offered the kingdom and our people rejected him. So now what is happening with that promised kingdom? Because if the king has been rejected, what's up with the kingdom? Where is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies? All of the Jewish people would have been asking. So Matthew develops those themes in his book. Jesus came to bring the kingdom. Jesus offered the kingdom to first century Israel. Israel rejected the offer. So now there's this thing called the church, Jew and Gentile together, but that also Jesus will return one day as king when all Israel accepts him as their king. So Matthew, see, he develops those themes, king and kingdom throughout his letter. So bringing this to a close king and kingdom. It's something we can all relate to. We have pictures of it in our head. Why is it so even romanticized and talked about an important part of our history and culture, right? And every people around the world have an idea of what it means to have a king and to be citizens of a kingdom. Well, we know now that Jesus is currently ruling and presiding as priest, but of course he is, and one day will come back to usher in his kingdom as the rightful ruler with all authority in heaven and on earth at his disposal because he is the one true king. See, Adam and Eve abdicated that role and that authority, and so Satan now has that level of authority that God allows him to have. That's why when the Bible talks about the world, right, the world system, or First John talks all about um, the spirit of the Antichrist, the one who will come to be the Antichrist, not only the one against Christ, but fake. You know, that word anti means fake as well, that one day the Bible predicts, we see it in Daniel and Ezekiel and in Revelation and other places that there will be an Antichrist, a fake Christ to come and to say, I am here to rule and to reign, right? To deceive the Jewish people. But then Jesus comes to finally defeat him right? Once and for all. And we say hallelujah to that. So we look forward to that. But that's what Matthew is writing about. The bigger themes in Matthew of king and kingdom, and we get it and we understand. But see, here's the thing. We won't truly be able to understand the nature of this amazing gospel. And all of the teachings of Jesus, it's got about five discourses, this, these large blocks of teaching of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, the Olivet Discourse, and others. And Matthew kind of organizes his gospel letter around that, these main teachings of Jesus, these five main teachings with some stories in between. We won't understand all of it and what it truly means and be able to connect all the dots. if we don't understand that Matthew as the writer, being inspired by God, was writing to show his readers, Hebrew believers, Christians, right? That one, Jesus is that promised king, the one you have now believed in for salvation, and what is happening now with the kingdom and what will happen with the kingdom that that God and his king has promised. So let me uh, leave you with this. As we, um, I just want to end our time before we gather around the Lord's table with how Matthew ends his book. So next week, we start at the beginning in Matthew chapter 1 and the genealogy of Jesus. But here in Matthew chapter 8, this is how Matthew ends his whole letter. It's up on the screen. I'll read it to you. This is right after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we know that he ascends to heaven. And, and then what happens? Matthew says this, to end his letter... But he recounts, the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated to them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus proclaims that he is the one that has all authority. It was given to him by the Father because he is the rightful king, right? His kingdom is not yet on this earth, but one day it will be, right? when in God's perfect timing, he decides it is time. And the time of the Gentiles is over. The Gentile rulers against the people of Israel. And God sends Jesus, the rightful king, back to claim what is rightfully his, to set up his kingdom on this earth, the one that was originally rejected. The people of Israel will then accept. And we as believers rule and reign with Jesus in that kingdom. Looking forward to that? Now, praise to God. Now, don't be like the disciples that afterwards during lunch start arguing and say, who's going to sit? I'm going to sit next to Jesus. I'm going to sit. I got lots of crowns. I got lots of jewels in my crown. I'm going to sit right next to Jesus. I told my wife, Claudia, that, you know, I'll probably be the one that like at the the, the, wedding, the table of the wedding feast, I'll be the one sitting right in front of the fruit. Like, I want the meat, and I want all this stuff. I'll be sitting there right in front of the fruit. That's all right. But there'll be no jealousy, right? So praise God, right? But through all of that, you know, we understand that Jesus came to offer the kingdom. And of course, through that, we have been blessed. Part of the covenants, right, that God made with Abraham, There was a promise of land and of a seed, meaning there would be a king through David. And there would be a blessing that the whole world would be blessed through Abraham and his descendants and, of course, through the one main descendant, Jesus Christ. So today, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus, you are a partaker of those blessings. Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says that we have been given every spiritual blessing as believers in him. And Jesus, on the night before he was betrayed, he told his disciples to do these things in remembrance of him, to take the bread, to take the cup, to remember him until he comes back. Because he knew at that moment, the next day, he would be betrayed. But he already knew that his people had rejected him. But of course, Jesus knew that one day he would come back So he was comforting his disciples and telling them, I will return. But until then, do what I do. Remember, he washed their feet, said, a new commandment I have, I give to you, love one another. This is how the world will know we are to love each other until Christ returns. That's how the world will know we are his. But he also gives us these ordinances, we call them, the bread and the cup. So he took bread and he broke it. He passed it around that Passover table. He said, take it and eat it. This represents my body. And he did the same thing with the cup of wine. He blessed it, passed it around, said, take and drink. This represents the new covenant in my blood. So that's why we do this, what we're going to do now. And so um, you'll hear some music playing, and we'd like to do that to just maybe in a way help us to bring our focus and our mind and put everything else aside, bring our attention to the Lord Jesus and I would ask that you would simply do this, church. That as the ancient church has done all throughout history in thousands of years, we, um, we do this as well, that we take time to reflect. Reflect on our relationship with Jesus. Where do you stand with him right now? See, this, what we're about to do is for believers. It is called this for the family, For those who have believed in the Lord Jesus to remember what he has done, because we would not be here today if it wasn't for the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. For the gospel tells us clearly that there's bad news before there's good news. The bad news is that every single person is born separated spiritually from God, a holy and perfect and righteous God. That's the bad news. And the other bad news is that we can't do anything about it on our own. But see the good news is that God did all that was necessary for us to reconcile us to him. And he did it all through Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ was on the cross, one of the last things he said was, it is finished. Which means the price that we were to pay, the penalty for our sinfulness that separates us from God, that price was paid by Jesus Christ. And all we do to receive that, to appropriate it, is to receive it by faith. To believe in the Lord Jesus, the Bible says, and you will be saved. At that moment, God through the Holy Spirit indwells in you. The Bible says you are a new creation. You now have two natures. The old sinful nature is still there. We're not yet perfect. But we have a new spiritual nature that we are connected with to God through Jesus Christ. And our position right, is now made new where we are seen as righteous and holy through the blood of Christ. That's what God sees when he sees us now. And so Jesus said to take the bread and to take the cup as often as we gather to remember his sacrifice. Church, we can be forgetful people, so let's remember that now. So as you hear the music play, think on these things. The Bible also tells us, the Apostle Paul tells us, that we are to do this so that we do not take the bread and the cup in an un worthy manner, and be guilty of sinning. So we ought to examine ourselves, Paul says, when we eat the bread and drink the cup. So let's do that now, and then after a while, as the music is playing, when you are ready, as the Spirit leads, you can get up and either come to the front or go to the side table there, and you can get a cup and a piece of the bread and return to your seat. When everybody has returned, then i will lead us in conclusion of taking of the bread and the cup together, okay? So take your time Reflect on the Lord Jesus Christ and then you can grab the elements and return to your seat and we'll take them together, okay? the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks for the bread, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Church, Let's take and eat together in remembrance of him. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take and drink in remembrance of him. Church, would you now stand with me and as we close our time together through song, remembering what it costs Jesus and what he has done for us. Let's close out our time together through song. Hallelujah. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you for our time together so far. Thank you for the wonderful reminders from your word and from song, how we owe everything to you. And you are now, you are now our Savior. You have called us to be your children. And we now can look to our Heavenly Father, but it's all thanks to you, Lord. Jesus. So bless us as we continue a time of fellowship around the table. Bless our food and our conversations and our words of encouragement to each other as we still remember the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus, but also celebrate him as risen Savior. We thank you, God, for all that you've done and all you will continue to do. And for for that, you get all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stick around, eat lunch with us. Give the team just a few minutes to get set up and enjoy some food and fellowship.
4: around me I will not be